welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. It's quite a unique union how a northern boy could go to college and meet a southern girl who started out in Honduras and fall in love, almost two polar opposites, And my mother was obligated to hand a bad boy off to this good girl. And she had quite a job on her hands raising this bad boy. And she's done a good job. Because that love that brought us together initially has changed the bad boy. Gradually and matured him over time. It's a unique union. This morning I'd like to speak with you about a blessed union that Jesus has given to us. And that is how his forgiveness of our sins changed, that love changes us inside to a totally different person. We hear a lot about how after our initial conversion to Christ that we must seek the second phase of salvation. We sometimes call this, uh, it's sometimes called sanctification. And the impression is left that once Christ has launched us with the new birth, then we must do all that we can throughout the rest of our life in pursuing holiness. And there are some evangelical Christians who call this the second blessing theology. The initial phase of forgiveness and justification, well, that's Christ's work. The next phase is our work for Christ, and we must come to believe in Jesus as Messiah, then we are converted, and then later we experience Pentecost. And so they have uh, somewhat proposed a post-conversion experience or a second blessing. The idea is taught that after the new birth, there is a second work of grace, which is called Holy Spirit baptism. And our churches are filled with people that are waiting for some intense experience to awaken them. This is because the second blessing of Pentecostalism is out there teaching that the new birth was not all, and so they go on to feel after the next rung in the ladder of their experience. And it's now very common to hear heart-wrenching songs and high-pressure sales tactics and tear-jerking stories and see long altar calls in order to move people to make decisions And often these decisions do not last the drive home from church. Churches spend their time in entertaining because all that attend desire to experience something better than what they have. Well, for us to adopt this model of salvation, of of the reception of the Holy Spirit, is to really adopt evangelical concepts of salvation. One individual shares her experience in this regard. In these words, she said, Christians that are buying into these unholy spirit experiences are heading for trouble. The pastor 
is undoubtedly a dominating figure, though he did it with such charm that you had no idea you were being brainwashed so severely. The first thing I can remember was the push for me to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And I tried and I tried, and finally, I got it in my bedroom by myself late one night. The experience was uh, after praying and seeking for it. This experience was quite beautiful and seemed to be of God because of its sweet emotional energy that I thought was from the Holy Spirit. New waves of God's so-called spirit bathed our church often, and we could not pray in a prayer meeting without expecting the anointing or a mysticism of energy to fall on us. And if we did not feel God's so-called presence, then we were considered dry and unspiritual. The true witness, who is Jesus, who speaks to us as the Laodicean church, has sought to keep us, dear friends, from all of this confusion about the sanctified life and the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful for that? And what Ellen White rejoiced in her heart most in hearing in 1888 was a more mature gospel which presented the union of justification with sanctification by faith. And so that is the unique union that I'd like to share with you today, the union of justification by faith with sanctification by faith. Are you willing to go on this little journey with me this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you will sanctify us with the truth. Thy word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had the question asked, Sister White said, What do you think of this light that these men are presenting? Why, I've been presenting it to you for the last 45 years, the matchless charms of Christ. You know, the more we talk about Jesus and uplift the cross and the agape of God, aren't we attracted to the matchless charms of Christ? This, she says, is what I've been trying to present before your minds When Brother Wagner brought out these ideas in Minneapolis, it was the first clear teaching on this subject from any human lips I had heard, excepting the conversations between myself and my husband. I have said to myself, it's because God has presented it to me in vision that I see it so clearly, and they cannot see it because they have never had it presented to them as I have. And when another presented it, every fiber in my heart said, Amen. Well, what she heard was the unique understanding of Seventh-day Adventists regarding the sanctuary cleansing as justification by faith. The heavenly sanctuary can only be cleansed when the hearts of God's people are cleansed through the atonement message. So she was asked, what is justification by faith? And in her words, she says, several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I've answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. Now, the third angel's message is Revelation 14, verse 12, isn't it? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and what? 
the faith of Jesus. That's the third angel's message, the commandments of God and the gospel of Jesus. In other words, it is the sanctuary truth. And referring to the message of Jones and Wagoner, she said, this message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all of the commandments of God. Again, justification by faith is the righteousness of Christ manifest in obedience to all of the commandments of God, which is the sanctuary message. There is a union of justification by faith with sanctification by faith. That is a unique blend. Now, the evangelicals do not see this union because they do not understand the sanctuary message. They, they want to keep distinct or separate justification and sanctification. They view justification as that Jesus paid it all at the cross as a legal thing, as the work of Christ in the past when he died upon the cross. Christ atoned for our sins, and when you believe that perfect work and sacrifice of Christ, then legally you are set free from sin. However, there's no experiential justification of the alienated heart with God through believing this doctrine. If Christ atoned for our sin, then in the strictest sense, atonement means reconciliation. In other words, harmony with sin. Sin becomes a separate entity from the sinner, uh, which God is okay with now because the sinner has believed on the cross. Justification legally takes care of all past, all present, and all future sinning by this mental act of believing that Jesus paid it all. That's the evangelical view of justification. The atonement in this view of salvation is God's wrath is against sinners. Uh, against sinners needs to be appeased by an offering which Christ makes to him on behalf of sinners. In other words, God needs the atonement. The emphasis is on, not on man's need of the atonement, but that God's anger needs to be atoned. And there is nothing in this about alienated human hearts being reconciled to God. Now, evangelicals are certainly not promiscuous, and they do teach sanctification and holiness, but this is a second blessing beyond justification. And it certainly cannot be expected that it is completed and perfect. Since one is born with a sinning nature, according to them, the Christian can never be expected to entirely achieve Christian perfection and obedience to God's commandments. The fallen, sinning nature that we're saddled with will continue to plague us until Christ miraculously removes it at his, at his coming. And so, in this model, in effect, they teach three phases to the plan of salvation. Number one, Jesus paid it all at the cross. Number two, when the sinner believes, he's justified by what Jesus paid at the cross. Number three, then he must go on to sanctification. Three phases. 
And the end product of this kind of sanctification is legalism and antinomianism. It abolishes the law of God. It abolishes the law of God by subtly undermining it because it teaches that a sinning Christian can never get out of the cycle of sinning, and it gives excuse for sin. That's antinomianism, abolishing the law. And it's legalism because the focus of overcoming sin is is self-motivated improvement. And whenever self sets the standard of Christian experience, it always becomes relative and will frequently multiply the rules and the regulations until they become oppressive legalism, such as what happened in the days of Christ with the Pharisees. Our high priest has revealed much better news for us. In the most holy place ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, all that a person really needs is Jesus' gift of justification by faith. Sanctification is an ongoing appreciation of that justification, that gift of love. One is sanctified the same way that he or she is justified by faith. Let's explore this good news idea, shall we? Here it is. God has given, Christ has given all of himself to every soul who comes into this world. This includes his gift of pardon for sin and sin's consequent wages, which is eternal death, which Jesus paid for with tremendous cost to himself on the cross. We have spoken of Jesus' agony on the cross more mental anguish than physical anguish because he chose to go to eternal death and separation from his Father. And when this gift of Christ's love is appreciated, the cost, that is true faith. Agape, God's agape, creates true faith. Then one is justified by faith. He experiences this great gift. Christ's love gives the faith. The experience involves the crucifixion of self with Christ so that self-focused love is replaced by agape. Justification is by faith activated by agape. Sanctification is by faith which works by agape. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 where Paul says, Faith works by love. There's no end of the response that one will give to God in faith when it's motivated by an appreciation of God's agape. It will manifest itself in a sanctified life in obedience to all of God's commandments, including the fourth commandment, the seventh-day Sabbath. In other words, dear friends, the same faith that justifies, sanctifies. So there are two phases in the plan of salvation and not three. The first phase was the legal work, which was Christ building the bridge of atonement by faith between his feeling the God-forsakenness, which we all feel, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was tempted from within, wasn't he? to feel God-forsaken. And so he must deny himself, his will, say no to that, 
and say yes to the will of his Father. And so he believes. And when he utters his prayer, it says in Psalm 22, verse 24, then faith in Jesus said, he heard. Amen. That was the atonement. The alienated heart. Jesus felt alienation and he was tempted to succumb to it. But by faith, he said, God heard, though God's presence was not visible to him, so that Jesus died on the cross victorious by faith. This was his sacrifice of himself on the cross for the whole world. And by this sacrifice, he legally justified, yes, the whole race of human sinners. The sec- that's the first phase. The second phase, and that's the only next phase in the plan of salvation, is when you hear this good news of Christ's gift of love. Doesn't it just warm your heart? And then you appreciate what it costs the dear Savior. Then you experience the heart-melting atonement of a reconciled heart. Do you see that? Justification by faith is the experience of the atonement with God. Can you see that point? So essential. Sanctification is but the continued deepening appreciation of the cross. Every day the old passes away and the new creature comes Because every day we have new views, new appreciation of the cross of Christ, which motivates the sanctified life. Moment by moment, day by day, self is crucified with Christ. One is justified by faith as Christ continues to impart his righteousness to the receptive sinner. There is no room here at all for the idea of once saved, always saved, when you have a marriage of justification and sanctification. In the just believe and believe only system, you have once saved, always saved, but not in the union of justification by faith, with sanctification by faith, because each day is a new birth experience with Christ. Furthermore, this marriage of justification and sanctification removes it from the realm of legalism because it is not motivated by a self-centered hope of reward or avoidance of hell interests. This is what it means to be under the law. Sanctification by faith is motivated by agape. Faith works by love. So it is an under grace motivation, under the cross motivation, if you please. And so the marriage of justification and sanctification, understanding of salvation is not anti-God's law. And this is why Ellen White could say in Evangelism, page 190, that it presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. It's not abolish the law whatsoever. It establishes God's law. Now, I firmly believe that a concerted appeal needs to be made 
to our people, and I say this with no personal thrust toward anyone, but a personal concerted appeal needs to be made to beware of the use of materials that come from evangelical sources that tend to confuse our minds on this point. I know they've been introduced here before, and it continues to sustain itself. But we want to follow Christ into the most holy place by faith. And we do not need to have the influences from outside that will lead us into legalism and to antinomianism. We do not want to have wrong principles operating in our experience. God has revealed a unique understanding of righteousness by faith to us as a people, and we must be careful about following after the teachings of Babylon or its Protestant daughters. The bottom line is that their understanding of salvation is legalistic, and it is antinomianism. They do not understand what true faith is. They do not understand what agape is. For them, it is merely a head thing, a head belief. There's no heart reconciliation in it whatsoever. Self remains fully entrenched within so-called, well, within Christian converts. Now, I'm not calling them unchristian. But on a scale of continuum, you have from 0 to 10, I won't be the judge. I have fellow brothers and sisters in other churches and other denominations, but it makes a whole lot of difference where you are on the continuum from 0 to 10 in terms of where you come down in terms of justification by faith and sanctification by faith. Now, the original opposition to the 1888 message maintained that justification by faith is merely the pardon for past sins. And that is the current understanding of many Seventh-day Adventists today. When justification by faith is understood as uh, exclusively pardon for past sins so that the real change of heart takes place only in sanctification, you're going to have an inevitable lapse into legalism. When Wagner saw that, that he, quote, there is but one thing in this world that a man needs, and that is justification, unquote, he was not echoing some new theology doctrine that justification by faith is merely a legal declaration and that obedience is not necessary. He saw the glorious power of justification by faith a truth which is taking more than a century for us to understand. The real issue is, when does faith begin to work? In justification by faith or not until a second phase of sanctification takes place? And Jones and Wagner maintain that faith begins to work when the sinner's heart is reconciled to God by the blood of the cross. He has not yet done any work of any kind, but his heart is at one with God. And this is justification by faith. What is the message of justification by faith which the Lord in his great mercy sent to Seventh-day Adventists? The sinner's faith is not what initiates his justification. I say that's good news. 
because that's the evangelical gospel. The evangelical gospel says that the sinner initiates by faith his justification and forgiveness. I thank God that he forgives us before we ask him he forgives us. And because we appreciate that he does forgive us before we ask him, that is an understanding of his love, and it deserves a faith response, don't you say? And that's when sanctification begins, because now the heart that has been alienated has received the atonement with him. God initiated it in the sacrifice of his son. As Sister White says, he restored the whole race of men to favor with God in Christ. He has made all men accepted in the beloved. And as surely as a verdict of condemnation came upon all men in Adam, so a verdict of acquittal came on all men in Christ. And since the legal justification took place by the sacrifice of Christ as our second Adam, justification by faith, therefore, has to be far more than a legal declaration. It actually reconciles the believer's heart to God. And he cannot be reconciled to God and not at the same time be reconciled to his holy law. If one is reconciled to God, he's reconciled to all of God's Ten Commandments. And therefore, genuine justification by faith in this antitypical day of atonement in which we are living now, where Jesus as our high priest is in the holiest, it makes the believer obedient to all of the commandments of God. It prepares him for translation without seeing death. We are saved by Christ, by grace, through faith, not of works. Thus, instead of being motivated by either fear of hell or hope of reward, the believer is motivated by the love of Christ to live not unto self, but unto him. And in this light, justification by faith is the only cure for a worldwide spiritual disease which Laodicea is suffering from right now, and that is lukewarmness. And it is the only means by which she may be prepared for translation at Jesus' coming. This is the beginning of the Christian life. It is receiving the life of God by faith. And how is, it, how is the Christian life sustained and continued by the same way it was received at the start. In fact, each day ought to be a new start. The old creature exchanging for the new creation. A new appreciation of the cross. A new crucifixion of self with Christ. A deepening in repentance. And a more settling into the truth of the love of God. Now let me give you a practical illustration of this from Matthew chapter 9. Jesus teaches this. Matthew chapter 9. You remember this story well. It says in verse 2, Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. You remember this story? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Now, what more cheering words could you hear from Jesus' lips than this? Your sins are forgiven you. Did the guy ask to be forgiven? He didn't pray, Lord, forgive me. Jesus forgave him before he even asked. That was love, agape. He received justification of life. He had not yet received justification by faith. 
because he had not expressed faith yet. Do you see that? He's been given justification of life first. Now let's go on in verse 3. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise and walk? And I'd like to think he was saying it to all of the doubters who were charging him with blasphemers. Your your sins are forgiven you. Verse 6, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth. Isn't that what we need in the inner life? Now he's getting to to the part about change of the inner heart, the power. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise. Now here is the word. Here is the truth. Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. This is forgiveness. It's more than forgiveness. And the negative removal, remission of sin of the past, isn't it? It's more than that, isn't it? You see that justification by faith is more than exclusively the remission of sin? Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house, and look how his faith responded. And he arose and departed his house. Now he experiences justification by faith. Isn't it clear right there? Clear enough, isn't it? And as soon as he was justified by faith, he was sanctified by faith. He didn't have to wait for a second blessing. He didn't have to pray down the Holy Spirit in an all-night prayer vigil. He saw the love of God, and he heard the forgiveness coming by virtue of the cross of Christ. And a fellow who had not walked for a long time, maybe if ever, was obedient to the Word. Faith always responds in complete obedience. If he had not faith, he'd still be there and he would have died in his paralytic state. But it says he arose and he departed to his house. This is why we say that forgiveness of sins is the same as power for change in the life to become a partaker of the divine nature. This is the unique truth that God has revealed to us as Seventh-day Adventists from the Most Holy the ever-present cross, the power of the gospel to deliver from sin. In this man's case, it gave him exactly what he needed. He couldn't walk. He was lame. The righteousness of Christ forgave him of sin. It empowered him to become a partaker of the divine nature, and it performed a physical act of healing. It would have never happened without a response in his experience, a response of faith. Agape comes down from above because it doesn't arise from within. Because innately, 
The nature of man is born self-centered, and there is no agape that only loves the other and not self. Agape comes down from above. And I find that Paul and John, the apostles, were very reticent to talk about how we should go around holding up our hands or saying, I love you so much, Jesus. I love you, I love you, I love you. Just a bunch of sentimentalism where we lower the bar of God's love to whatever we want to make of it in terms of our sentimental expressions. God doesn't ask us to respond to him with love. He asks us to respond by faith. And faith can only respond as activated by agape, which comes from above. But faith works. It works by agape. We're not saved by faith and works. That's a very poor title to give to a book. But according to Galatians 5, 6, the sanctified life is faith which works by agape. There's a whole lot of difference. See? The one is legalism. The other has no legalism in it whatsoever. It's all centered in God's love. I just plead with you folks to evaluate all that you are doing and cultivating and developing the spiritual life. Look at maybe the sources that sometimes you use. See if maybe some more some care needs to be taken in terms of the selection of the input that's going in here because let me tell you this. We are sanctified by the truth and the word is truth. And we're not sanctified by this publisher's book or that publisher's book. Doctrine matters. What you eat affects your health. If someone said to uh, a smoker, What you're taking into your body is going to eventually get you with a heart attack or a cancer problem. Um, The wise person would take heed as to their intake, wouldn't they? The same is true with the spiritual person. Oh, it doesn't matter what we believe, just so long as it's got Christ on the label. Just so it's got love on the label. Yes, it does. It matters a whole lot because the way we think according to the beliefs that Jesus has given us, is the way that we act and the way the outcome is in the end. Doctrine is essential. In fact, it is a beautiful part of coming into harmony with God and being one with him. That Hearts that have been alienated are one to him. I'll leave it at that. More could be said, probably have said too much. May God bless each one. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.